Today's episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is being sponsored by Carousel. At a time when schools and districts around the country are searching for the best ways to support students' social-emotional needs, Carousel transforms social-emotional learning by providing daily, mobile, interactive lessons and exercises to students. Their youth app is compatible with any mobile device, is gamified for maximum engagement, and is positive habit-forming. Carousel is not just about checking off standards, and it doesn't feel like homework. It feels like a mix between a game and social media, all the while helping students regulate and develop social-emotional skills. After engaging with in-app SEL content, students apply lessons to themselves and others through real-world activities. Educators, social workers, counselors, and youth mentors access and control activities through Carousel's dashboard enabling you to oversee the social-emotional development and engagement of your students. Carousel's mobile app and platform are fully FERPA and GDPR compliant. Carousel is a public benefit corporation and is committed to expanding access to quality SEL content for every student and teacher. Best of all, Carousel is now enrolling educators in their free pilot. Visit them at edcuration.com. Search C-A-R-O-U-S-E-L to learn more and enroll. In business today, I'm bombarded with constant feedback surveys, right? To fill this out. Let us know what you think. What is your feedback? And sometimes we don't do that enough in education. We don't poll our customers, which are our students. And sometimes as administrators to our teachers, how are you feeling today? Because mental health is such a hot topic and a much needed topic in today's climate, but we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Hi, friends. This is your host, Christy Hemingway. Our guest today is Anthony Childs, a 16-year veteran educator who has worked at every level of teaching and administration. He currently works as the Student Support Coordinator at Burke County Schools in Augusta, Georgia. He recently presented at Ed Curation's October conference, and his session featured a number of very helpful strategies for creating and maintaining relationships with your students. It's not surprising that his session was one of the most popular of the day, since relationships and connection are what we are all most missing right now during quarantine and remote schooling. Anthony had great tips for educators for both digital and in-person learning, and you can find his session on our Ed Curation YouTube channel. But we invited him here today to tell us more and respond to some of your questions from his session. Welcome, Anthony. Explain to us what you do as a student support coordinator. I don't know if that is a title that necessarily rings bells with a lot of people, although because districts tend to have different labels and names for things. So tell us what that is. Basically, it's, I'm over PBIS 50L. So y'all know the new thing that's coming in is MTSS, and that's Multi-Tiered System of Supports. And so just basically taking all of those things and trying to mesh them together. So I kind of oversee a lot of the building facilitators of those various programs. You know, we're currently going through a realignment to try to make sure that all of those different systems are working synergistically mm-hmm. so that students are really getting more of what they need 
So do you work mainly with teachers or students or both? Well, both. Yeah. So I, I love the job. Again, when I left the classroom, I know I still wanted to work with students. And so a lot of times, especially when it comes to a difficult student, teachers may have different needs for suggestions for reaching that student. You know, it all comes back down to those relationships that are formed and that are continue to be formed over time. So you recently participated in Ed Curation's Committee to Anti-Racist Curriculum and Instruction Conference, and your session was focused on strategies for building relationships. So talk about why you chose to present on that topic. It's interesting because, I, you know, I know in this technological age that we're in, there's a lot of research out here on how to do certain things, programs and whatnot. All, all these things are good and they do have their place. I feel like, you know, we're kind of losing track on some of the things that we continue to say, which is building relationships. So that's going to actually be a lot cheaper right, mm-hmm. than trying to implement a new program is going back to the basics. And I think that is one of the things that I've seen districts that are successful that are trying to drive the needle for student achievement is going back to those basics and and having those connections that are needed to be able to say, you know what, I care for you. And through that caring, those students are beginning to trust their teachers, believe in their teachers, and then believe in themselves in order to be able to make the grade and and see progress, both academically and behaviorally. So in your experience, I think this idea of building relationships and fostering relationships is particularly challenging right now because we're not together. But also, even before COVID, I think that we are all experiencing the challenge of technology. And I think most of us in education, although we love our technological resources and and tools, they're really helping and enhancing our instruction. We've also seen it as a big hindrance when it comes to relationships. And so How are you seeing the technology hindering and interfering with building those quality relationships other than just the fact that it's like a huge distraction for everyone? Yeah. Well, I really take two main points, and that's really just timing and empathy. I say timing really because technology is consuming more of our time. And if you think about it, I just saw a research study, I think it was back in 2018, from the National Institutes of Health. That said, students that spend up to seven hours on technology actually have a softening of their frontal cortex. And, you know, of course, this is where a lot of your executive functioning skills go, your impulse control, your ability, you know, to just order things. And so this also correlates or is linked to less sleep, not being able to be emotionally stable, not being able to socialize or spending more time on technology. So this is where the relationships kind of get hindered, the timing aspect. So those really good moments, those deep moments where let's say, for instance, you get home and your kid is telling you something that's really important to them, but you're checking your phone for that, right? That last, you lose that moment, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's those times that are, we check our phone almost, what, 600 times a day. I think Google maybe estimates is about 600 times. And some of those numbers might be different, but I think we've, in some cases, have provided a a higher threshold for we have a phone and this phone makes us feel good, right? And so this is where we get our validation from. It's not from those face-to-face discussions and conversations that we have with each other. I remember another study I read and it was a control group and experimental group. And these kids went to summer camp and I believe the control group had their phones and then the experimental group didn't have their phones. And at the end of, I guess it was a week long there, 
they gave them a test and they were supposed to be able to identify facial expressions and emotions. And the kids who didn't have their phone were ever able to understand the different facial expressions or emotions from the pictures that they saw. We're coming to understand based on research is that these are empathy qualities, you know, empathetic yeah. qualities, being yeah. able to look at somebody's face, right? And be able to see, oh, you know, something's wrong. And we don't get that when we're on technology all the time, right? So we're not reading faces very well, which again, can hinder our overall mood. I think of a lot of examples of times when you're with somebody and now because we have these cell phones, we feel like we're obligated to be available. You're with a friend at coffee and their phone rings or they get a text and the immediate response is like, oh, I have to take this. But do you? Do you have to take it? Because 10 years ago, you wouldn't have even been able to take it, and yet no one died. The expectation that we have that we have to reply to somebody, it's come to a point where we start stressing out about it. Yeah. Right? We start, if somebody doesn't get back to you right then and there, where is there a standard at in the world that says after five minutes, if you don't you know, answer this, that you know, you're going to lose that friendship or something? It's not sustainable. There's a thing called a phantom vibrations. I don't know if you ever heard of this. I have those. <laughs> my Fitbit, I feel yeah. my Fitbit even when I don't have it on. Right. So what has happened, right? People are so used to getting that vibration, that notification that our bodies now have acclimated to that situation. Oh, yeah. So we're always constantly, you know, looking at that. There's subtle physiological changes that are happening to us right in front of our eyes and we really don't see it. It's crazy. We are using it right now to create this podcast, which I think is great. But I think improper use of it and not being able to teach it appropriately alongside our usage is the most detriment that we're doing, especially the early learning. We have little kids that are one, two years old that are getting iPads. And every Harvard study that's out there now that's showing that even kids' expressive language is being reduced because kids that are that small can't transfer that 2D you know, manipulation to the real world. So, you know, it, it's really affecting their ability to even expressive language. And so now we know reading is a huge problem, right, in America. The NAEP progress report test, I mean, over even the last 20 years has shown minimal growth and or declines. We've been on a steady plane. I just hope that we have the ability to see where strategies in place to integrate technology, but responsibly. We'll be right back. Carousel is a first-of-its-kind product that engages students in activities to build social-emotional or SEL skills like resilience, gratitude, and self-awareness on a fun, gamified, and social platform. Students get notified every day when they have a new daily spark to complete. Sparks are kind of like push-ups for SEL skills, a bit of work each day that builds up to big impact over time. These small positive acts renew connection to self, others, and life. They're done in real life, then shared in the app for everyone in their space to see. Each space will be limited in size to encourage students to build stronger connections and have deeper conversations. Most importantly, Carousel is the first and only curriculum agnostic SEL platform. We can adapt and deliver any SEL type content via our proprietary curriculum framework. And that means we'll be able to collect the first standard data sets to research how SEL practice in Carousel correlates to outcomes in life. If you're looking for an easy-to-implement, integrated, and truly effective social-emotional learning tool to support your students and to help you create solid relationships and a positive learning climate, 
you're going to want to check out Carousel. Carousel is currently enrolling educators and students in a free pilot, so there's never been a better time. You can find Carousel at edcuration.com. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. Type Carousel in the search bar and connect directly to a representative with any questions or requests. And now, back to Anthony. I just hope that we have the ability to see where strategies in place to integrate technology, but responsibly. Well, so that leads right into my next question, because those statistics are scary, especially the one about the seven hours and the softening of the cerebral cortex, because we're all on screens all day long now by necessity. And I'm wondering what advice you have, especially to educators, for turning technology to our advantage in this instance and using it to build relationships with students because there's the dark side and the light side of technology. And how can we really capitalize on the advantage that technology gives us to maybe counteract some of the negative effects? A couple of strategies that I think that teachers or educators in general can really use, especially since, you know, we're using technology a lot in the midst of COVID, start to listen to students. I, I know that it sounds simple, but it's also profound. We have to be able to allow students to express themselves. And I mean, just in, I would say like a morning meeting, you know, one of the things that won't change, whether we're in a digital setting or face-to-face is being able to set expectations in our environment that builds relationships. So one of the things that I didn't mention is for us to be able to learn about student interests and backgrounds. Teachers have a thousand standards to have to go through. And so there's less time for us to be able to have different community meetings or some people call them morning meetings to see how students, we can see how their morning is. And that is going to be key because you can gauge how you're going to interact with those students based upon your curriculum. So, I mean, I know we have in business today, I'm bombarded with constant feedback surveys, right? To fill this out. Let us know what you think. What is your feedback? And sometimes we don't do that enough in education. We don't poll our customers, which are our students. And sometimes as administrators to our teachers, how are you feeling today? Because mental health is such a, what I say, a hot topic and a much needed topic in today's climate. We have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice, you know, talk, let them talk a few minutes about what happened this weekend. And some of these little nuggets that you get along the way when we're letting these students talk in the first, let's say, 35 minutes of the classroom can actually build relationships with those students. You're also building motivation for them. You're also giving them the opportunity to share and have some of those what we call 21st century skills that we really do want to teach a thousand standards. And, you know, we, I don't have time to do all that. But in the back end, we're spending more time trying to get kids to stay connected, to not, you know, be kind of zoned out. And that's because part of those relationship things that we can do, take a back seat because we want to move through the instruction and the curriculum so that we can get to the test ultimately at the end of the school year. And I was just thinking exactly that. I think so many teachers feel like, and I know because I've been there. It's that tyranny of coverage. We got to get through this. We got to get through stuff. And they feel like they don't have the time to dedicate to the morning check-in or how's everybody doing or are there other things we need to talk about? And honestly, the truth is, and research supports this all the way back to Maslow, 
we don't have time not to do those things because kids are not available to attend to higher thinking. That's right. I actually researched a couple of years ago a Waldorf school. And the Waldorf school, there's a couple of schools like that sprinkled out in the United States. But one of the things that they advocate for is, you know, hands-on learning. Of course, Montessori is, is big in this as well. But they found that, you know, consuming too much technology actually hinders the creative thinking and the critical thinking skills that are needed in order to make meaning of learning. So, again, that's why I believe it is so important that we have a good balance, especially in those younger years. Basic inquiry that's already innate in most children. We want to capitalize on that. We want to make sure that having those healthy relationships with people that can really open up the world of opportunity and the world of access of learning and world world learning, especially to building those relationships with those students. Yeah, I am a huge fan of Waldorf. My kids both attended a Waldorf school for middle school. And one of the things that the teachers do is just the very simple practice of standing at their classroom door and greeting kids with a handshake and eye contact and their name every morning. And I remember reading a study not too long that was actually published in Reader's Digest about how academic scores rose when other schools started to adopt that practice of just greeting kids at the door, which was amazing. But really, it shouldn't be because they immediately have the sense of belonging that we know kids and people, all people need in order to, again, attend to any kind of higher level thinking. I, like you, am working from home and I have very badly behaved pets. I've given up on trying to control them and just made them my co-hosts. You will hear their input intermittently. It's a little random and they are not very articulate or well-read, but here at Ed Curation, we value everyone's opinions. At the conference, you taught eight strategies that were pretty detailed for fostering, building, and strengthening relationships. And I'm wondering if you can paint a picture for us of what that looks like. So one of the other things that I created, I call it MVP spaces. So it's mutual, visual, and physical spaces. It's basically just a framework for simple techniques to achieve a positive learning environment called staples. The first thing that I really think that when you talk about going into a classroom is getting those teachers to stand at the door. That's the most important thing that you can do is stand at the door, like you said, because right then and there, you can create your atmosphere. Your classroom atmosphere starts at the door, right? If you have a lot of rowdy students that are coming in, you can set the tone right at the door and have them walk in, right, at peace instead of, you know, sometimes as teachers, they run around trying to get the last little bit of things written on the board or getting the different papers together to put on students' desks and kids come in just any kind of way. And so the classroom atmosphere is kind of destroyed at that point. So what I would advocate is that they start at the door. One of the strategies is, of course, to ask questions, right? So when you ask questions, how was your weekend? Asking questions, especially when it comes to students that are disruptive, asking a question is a great way to redirect the student. So asking students questions, but this is the second one to be empathetic. And this is just responding to students that are in crisis. And this is when to stay in your car. And this, you want to make sure that you're calm, aware, and respectful. It's important to maintain those specific modeled expectations every single day and every minute of every hour. 
in order to make sure that those relationships stay intact and are at the forefront of what we're doing. So the questioning thing is, I think, such kind of a magic trick in some ways, because the way I'm envisioning it is, so say you have a student who's out of his or her chair and really shouldn't be at that moment. There are two ways you can go with it. So there's the, why are you out of your chair? Why are you talking? Which is the more aggressive questioning. But then another strategy to take with that would be, are you out of your chair right now because you need something? Like kind of leaving the door open for them to express what's going on with them. Is, yep. is that the difference you're talking about? Yes, that is so the difference. And, you know, the other thing about this is that these questions that we want to actually start asking kids mm-hmm. are pre-planned, right? So, I mean, at this point, we kind of know what students are going to do in the classroom, right? From either getting up or just being distracted or tapping their pencil on somebody or just anything that's distracting. And if we are able to kind of have our set questions in play already, then we're also going to be able to manage our emotions when a kid is doing stuff. But if we have good questioning techniques that we've already planned ahead of time, and we're practicing, we're brushing our teeth. We're practicing these questions right when we're driving home. The point is for us to have it in our muscle memory. Mm. So that when a student is actually, you know, in the act of doing it, it goes right back to that quick response. That is what we've been practicing all along. Instead of waiting for a chance, letting our emotions take over, and then we don't know what we're going to say at that point because we're in a crisis mode at that point. Yeah, because so we want to prepare so that we're not reacting. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're responding yeah. rather than reacting. So right. good. How have these practices, as you've been working with your staff, how have they changed the overall climate and achievement at your school? We had a, a teacher... That has an inclusion classroom. In addition to all the other, you know, I would call it different types of students that are in the classroom, we also had a few students that had some trauma in their life as well. And we actually had to move a new student into the classroom. And I know at first the teacher was very concerned because, you know, if you think about the different dynamics of the classroom that are already unique to that particular teacher, we thought that this might be a little bit much, especially because this student needed a little more extra support. They were very vocal did a lot of what I would call attention-seeking behavior, standing on the desk, yelling and screaming, those kind of things. And this was a kindergartner, by the way. So, yeah, so we're like, well, what are we going to do? So I knew at that point it was important for us to get those relationships with the teacher and the class, you know, other students in the classroom and the parents. So you think, you know, you have this multifaceted kind of work around to how are we going to put all these things together? Well, one of the things that I think that was most beneficial, and I don't think we do this often, is involve students in this planning phase, right? So a lot of times when we're kind of coming up with a game plan of what we're going to do for students, we always leave them out, right? And we set it up and then we tell them later on, well, this is what we're going to do. So throughout this process, the student was very aware of what we're doing. So one of the things that we set up was we did like a check-in, check-out chart with our their student. Well, one of the things that I think that often takes teachers and just me educators in, in general is that we often see you know the negative side of when we try to implement new things right they kind of go south first we knew that already going into it and so we want to make sure we build that support just say hold on you know we're going to all be here together working together so that even though we're seeing these negative outcomes at the beginning the consistency was the most important part so this teacher already had a good sense of loving the students, which I think was the most beneficial thing. And then so when the student had negative reactions, we would 
being very firm. We were consistent whether the student blew up or not. The teacher always told the student that they loved them. Hmm. And I think that was such an important part of what happened. Now, it took some, I think, convincing on our part to show the teacher that, hey, you know, we have the necessary structure in place. After six weeks, we saw dramatic changes, not only in that student's response, but also the students in the classroom, because we worked with those students as well to not let that student be just somebody on the side, right? Yeah. We worked with that student. So when the student was out, maybe during their cool down time, the teacher had talks with the students to say, hey, y'all, let's have a debrief. Let's talk about what happened, right? And how can we support this student when they come back? That was mm-hmm. such an important part of what we did. And let me tell you, I, I really believe that I think some of the teachers were skeptical of what we did in the beginning. But once we put that support in place and we saw the growth, that other teachers saw that the structure that we put in place was the most important part. But I think the relationships was what really drove what we did. That is such healthy modeling because oftentimes if there's a disruptive student, then you're really just trying to quell the disruption so that the rest of the class can go on with whatever it is that you're trying to address or whatever the lesson is, rather than considering that student as part of the class and they're going through a struggle. So let's all deal with it together. We're going to use this strategy and then we're going to debrief together as a group. And it's showing such a healthy approach to the rest of the class. And they feel part of it. Like, this is a challenge that we're all dealing with together. It's not just that this kid is always causing problems. Yeah, it changed the way that we looked at that. You know, because oftentimes when we have a difficult student, the first thing is that we want to, you know, isolate them. And, you know, maybe put them in, if we're doing a lot of group work, well, this kid can't work with the rest of these kids, right? Because they're going to have an episode. But trying as much as possible within reason, which is healthy and that is safe. We try to continue to integrate that student, that we show them that they belong. You belong here. And yes, that's what makes, I think, makes the biggest difference. What a beautiful message for that kid. And that student, that's going to make all the difference in that child's trajectory moving forward because they didn't feel isolated, extricated, you know, exiled because they were having a problem. They were still considered part of the community. Yes. Is there anything else that teachers in your building are doing right now to build and maintain relationships with students as we're in hybrid and digital learning? You know, the other thing I think that is, again, simple but profound is just to learn about student interests and backgrounds. In the beginning of the pandemic that started, I actually developed some surveys for our teachers, but those virtual surveys actually provide a lot of insight for teachers. So they're able to, you know, over time, learn about students and give them little nuggets here and there that support their overall well-being so that, you know, again, we develop that ongoing relationship. One of the things that we've tried to encourage the teachers to do is just to give positive feedback. The research shows that if you do four to one, four positive to one corrective statement, that that is the most beneficial. And so we've tried to really just make sure that even though if students come and they're, they're kind of checked out or whatnot, that we're finding something. And again, the feedback is meaningful and it's valuable to that student. Mm-hmm. So Anthony, I'm curious, what is making you feel hopeful in education right now? I mean, the news and the media and a lot of conversation tends to focus a lot on the things that are going wrong or the things that we're struggling with. 
What is making you feel hopeful? You know, I feel hopeful because I think even though this has been a very difficult time, I think that the direction that education is going is going in the right direction. There is a study from Cognia slash Advanced Ed, used to be called Advanced Ed, where they polled a lot of students and they actually had a kind of a breakout session with them and asked, you know, what have we learned from being at home? And the students, even though they were still learning, said, well, you know, we've noticed that we really don't need to be in school that long. They found that they're able to do more of their stuff in less time. So the model is changing to where we're really trying to drive now personalized learning. I'm excited about the future because we're going to start seeing a lot more curriculum. We're going to see a lot more instructional tools that are going to be geared towards student personalization of learning. Mm-hmm. So whether that is in the brick and mortar or that's online or, you know, even a different type of content that students are learning and that integration, students are actually becoming better learners, becoming more critical thinkers. And I'm excited about that. That's fabulous. I'm hearing a lot of predictions that we are not going to just return to learning as it has been, but that this disruption that we are facing right now is actually kind of going to change the whole landscape of education and in in good ways. So I'm hopeful about that as well. I'm curious where people can find you because I have a sense that many of our listeners will want to know more that they will be appreciative of many of the things that you shared. So where can they find you? And can they access any of the resources like the survey or the oh, yeah. eight strategies that you have so, that you've touched on? Sure. On my website, mvpspaces.com. It's like MVP of basketball, football. mvpspaces.com is where they can go and they can access the Building Relationships Toolkit. And that gives you the step-by-step guide. They can download it or they can also utilize it on site. And then also just a little bit of what I highlighted earlier today about MVP spaces and that holistic learning environment piece where they'll be able to take out some of these things. We talked about great students at the door. I call them the staples, simple tools to achieve a positive learning environment. I really wanted to make sure that people left with practical things, simple things that they can implement right in their classroom the very next day. And so that's what I really want MVP Spaces. It's all about. That is teachers' favorite thing, a brand new tool in their pocket that they can use tomorrow. I'm sure that people are going to want to access that. And I'll make sure that that website, that URL address is also in the notes of the episode. So people will be able to find you right away. I can't think of a time when we needed these kinds of strategies more than we need them right now. And so really appreciate you sharing your experience and expertise with our audience today. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for being here. Well, I really hope that you achieve your goal of becoming a superintendent because you would be a fabulous one. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You can find Anthony's contact information and links to the resources discussed in our episode notes on Podbean. You can also find all kinds of great resources for social-emotional learning at edcuration.com, including today's sponsor, Carousel. Destiny, a recent graduate of Denver Online High School, was a top student user of Carousel. Destiny said, Carousel is teaching the importance of self-value and developing the good in everyone. Carousel is currently enrolling teachers for a free pilot, so don't wait. Reach out to them at edcuration.com. If you found this episode helpful, 
please subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ed Curation Podcast.